0: This episode of Shameless is brought to you by Elite 11 and their brand new podcast network, Elite 11 Podcasts. Go behind the scenes of the fast-growing premium activewear brand with their two podcasts, Save Me a Seat and Not My Business.
1: Hello and welcome to the April installment of The Shameless Book Club. This month we read Vladimir by debut novelist Julia May Jonas. Vladimir is a novel told from the perspective of a deliciously incisive narrator, a popular English professor whose husband, a charismatic teacher at the same small liberal arts college, is under investigation for his inappropriate relationships with his former students. The couple has long had a mutual understanding when it comes to their extramarital pursuits, but with these new allegations, life has become far less comfortable for them both. And when our narrator becomes increasingly infatuated with Vladimir, a celebrated, married, young novelist who's just arrived on campus, their tinderbox world comes dangerously close to exploding. Guys, before we get into things, can I introduce you to my wonderful co-host <laughs> one of whom just banged their head accidentally on the mic it's a good start zara- hi hi zara mcdonald and hi michelle andrews hi my teeth are intact are yours yeah <laughs> i was a bit of a dodo moment if i'm honest So just <laughs> sort of went do straight into the microphone it was iconic i'm mad that we're not filming this one <laughs> I, <know. laughs> like, I wish we got that on camera guys as always let's start with a bit of an author intro to be honest though <laughs> none of us could really find much about julia may jonas just kind of top lines stuff like she is a playwright I read. Zara do you have anything more to add?
0: Not a whole lot more. I think the playwright thing is like the most crucial detail here right because Mm. this reads so I'm going to say fluidly. Is Mm, that a word? Gorgeous. Yeah. Yeah. Sure. And I think what I found really interesting is I read an interview with her about that and she said I think there's also a sense that in playwriting you can't write without rhythm. When I was writing I had my ear very much turned on the rhythm of the words as they unfolded even when it was narrative and not just dialogue. Mm. All the years that she spent writing plays I think helped her craft a pretty ridiculously strong story here that just sort of fell off the page
2: agree i didn't for one second when i read this book think this couldn't happen or this isn't real or someone wouldn't say that everything felt so accurate to how i know conversations unfold or how people interact it just felt so real it felt Mm. so very real there is very little to be found about julia may jonas as you said annabelle she's a writer director she has her own theater company called nelly tinder she has taught in a small yeah. Arts College Mm. called Skidmore College so she has a backstory there she lives in Brooklyn as with all debut authors you can kind of
0: see a through line between the author's life and the story that we read on the pages yeah I agree with that though in every interview that I read where it noted that she'd worked at Skidmore College everyone said don't read too much into that I imagine she didn't (laughs) want people making connections oh right
1: oh my god I just that just clicked (laughs) for me interesting (laughs) interesting well on the playwright thing as well she told another mag which is like the name of the magazine (laughs) and. (laughs) (laughs) that she wrote vladimir kind of like she would a monologue so she said it was the way i could keep connecting to the voice when i would start i would think about it as a monologue this character keeps giving which makes so much sense because you know her thoughts were like a steady stream and they were Pretty generous in terms of vulnerability. Speaking of the narrator, I think we should just jump straight into characters, shall we? Yeah. Yeah, there's not much
0: else to be said about. No, there's the nothing intro. really at all. She is writing another book. I read that as well, but I'm ready to jump straight into this book particularly. Same. Yes. I would love
1: to start with the narrator, the unnamed narrator, simply because <laughs> I didn't realize she had no name until literally 20 minutes ago when I was writing my notes. I was flicking through the book trying to find it and I couldn't.
2: Literally neither. Zara Same. turned to me at our desks and said, hang on a second what's the name of the main character does she have one and I was like yeah she does and then I was trying to find it. I was like, it. Is it Anne? I was like, she seems <laughs> she like seems an Anne. <laughs> she, I cannot believe this protagonist was not named and that it did not twig for me once reading it, which again is testament to the power of this
0: storytelling. 1,000%. Not even when I closed the book did I realise. It was only when we were going back and prepping for this episode that all of us realised. I read an interview with Julia Mae Jonas where she said she got to page 75 when she was writing the first draft of this book and she realised she hadn't named her and thought, well, I guess that's a sign to keep going she also explained that decision not to name the protagonist she said i wanted us to feel inside of her head i didn't want us to look at her as if she was an object outside of us i also feel like there's a tradition in gothic novels of these unnamed narrators And it does add this sense of urgency. My book is not particularly spooky, but spookiness as a vibe, say. I would, I mean, I know it's her book, so she will nail it the most, (laughs) but I thought that's it. I was talking to one of the girls in the office, Sahani, who has done these book club episodes before. And I said to Sahani, have you read it yet? And she was like, nah, everyone is explaining the book is quite dark and I don't know if it's for me. And I was trying to bring myself to explain this book to her being like, well, it's not dark but it's not not dark. It's got a spooky vibe. It's like shadowy. Yeah. Yeah.
1: yeah. This is such an unsmart point, but also the name <laughs> Vladimir kind of gives me like vampire vibes. Yeah. You know what? <laughs> when Zara suggested we do Vladimir for the book club,
0: I said to her, is it a fictionalised account of Vladimir Putin's life? (laughs) (laughs) Truly, it's like, it's one of those books that I think there's a barrier for people to get into, but I couldn't recommend it more. Back to the point where we were inside our narrator's head the whole time. I adored being there. What Mm. a place to be. Mm. Like, I loved how sometimes or most of the time, it felt to me that maybe her thoughts weren't always matching up to her words. I feel like her words often came out, particularly when she was conversing with her students, as progressive and suiting the mood. And I felt like this book was a very sort of well-observed 2022 novel in that her thoughts were often a little bit more backward than the words Mm. that were coming out of her mouth, but she was smart enough to know the kinds of things she should be saying.
2: Yeah. Backwards an interesting way to put it. I would put it as more
0: honest, maybe. Well to how maybe she was more just a product of her generation, I should say. Complicated. Yeah. yeah. Complex. Because I don't I think the reason I say that is because it's I don't believe that the students in this book or students generally are only ever saying things they feel they should say. I mm. believe that students wholeheartedly believe these things. Mm. She is just more a product of a different time but knows what she should be saying to a different generation, I yeah. guess, particularly, particularly around the stuff of the women that accused John of sexual harassment. I found it really hard to read. Yeah. oddly, she's
1: my favorite. Because that I find completely backwards. Yes, the stuff she was saying about power dynamics and it being kind of like, the women wanted it. I found it really uncomfortable reading this story through her eyes. Yeah. Though I appreciated the self-awareness and, like, how observant she was, but I did think it was painful to an extent. Julia actually told another magazine this. I feel like we have a certain resistance to ambiguity of thought, particularly in women. I think potentially in any anyone who we're not used to seeing have ambiguity of thought. Mm. And that did make me think, I think there's an extent of it that is probably like a me thing that I found it so uncomfortable. Yeah, it right. was just like so against, I don't know what I've read oh, before. You don't really hear people say that.
2: I yeah. really enjoyed it. I didn't necessarily agree with everything yeah. she mm. was thinking and feeling, but I found it again to be very real. And I really appreciate books like this that tackle sex dynamics and power and potential power imbalances from two sides. I felt like this was such a clever unpacking of how two different groups of women probably separated by generations approach the same issue and I think I found both sides frustrating. I found the students angles on this sometimes frustrating and their the very black and white characterization of what sex might mean to someone frustrating. And then I found her approach to it as, oh, well they, they got something out of it. They got, they benefited from these relationships. Often I found that frustrating. I found myself often landing in the middle, but I loved that representation of, the conversation we were hearing, the dialogue between the students and their teacher, and then her inner monologue, I always found myself landing somewhere in the middle of that. I found it very frustrating when the students characterized something as rape. And then I found it very frustrating when she characterized it as something that they benefited.
0: That everyone enjoyed. Yeah. Yeah. No, I thought it was probably the strongest part of the book for me. Yeah. That the sort of the difference between her thoughts, her words, and that generational divide. She was one of the best characters I have read in a really long time. And it's always interesting because I feel like when we talk about books on Book Club, we often talk about the fact that the narrator or the main character is often just a vessel for everybody else Mm. and doesn't actually have any enjoyable or interesting traits themselves. But this was a really powerful centre character. Yeah, she made the readers feel uncomfortable, which, you know, at the end of the
1: day is a really, really great thing. I think for me, maybe I was putting the whole, like, I love live yeah. reads onto this story, which is why, spoiler alert, I found this book just, like, really uncomfortable. Really? Yeah.
2: yeah. Really. I, I've i got to say, I think the first 170 pages of this book might be the best 170 pages of any book that I have read. Wow. I her, and I loved her. I know she's complicated. No, I'm but I, as I a character... I loved her. I, I thought enjoyed she was great. her.
0: She was... I mean, we'll get to... Her everything yes later I didn't <laughs> love her action no I didn't I love her it. act. but she was fascinating I also really liked how there was a quote I read from Julia May Jonas where she said a lot of the book is her starting off asserting herself as someone who thinks independently and as the book goes on we find more and more and more that she is very socialized and very shaped by traditional expectations of femaleness and femininity and that those really weigh down on her I also think this was a really ridiculously strong part of the book. There was a a passage on page 56 that I underlined where she was talking about her mother growing up and her relationship with food. And she said... To this day, I tense my ass at a red light and do calf raises while waiting in line at the grocery store, take the top piece of bread off my sandwiches and destroy pictures that catch me in an unflattering light. My daily thrum of happiness depends on my number on a scale as inane as I know that to be. This is a woman who is so clever and we're told has so much independence of thought And then you read that and you think she is really just like everyone else and i don't think a woman of her generation that is a particularly unique experience i would argue for women of that age it's a very universal one i would also argue that maybe to 70 percent of it it's a very universal experience of women our age i
2: a thousand percent agree i also had that noted down as one of my favorite passages i had another passage that I, I just think again is so really so accurate to the women in my life and the way I've seen their kind of relationships with their bodies it's a little long can I read it yes of way? course okay this is from page 124 it's immediately after Sydney her daughter tells her you look young she responds how young I turned to Sid to make sure she wasn't just puffing me up what do you mean how young how young do I look I was drunk or I wouldn't have asked when she was growing up, wanting her to find her worth elsewhere, hating myself for my obsession with my appearance. I never once asked Sid how I looked, even as I longed for her praise. When John would call her cute or lord her clothing choices, I would tell her that it was only the inside that mattered. Even as I obsessed, I never spoke of my weight, my wrinkles, my greys. Before the awkward adolescent years, I would swoon at her long legged grace, her wide mouth and white teeth and luxurious hair, but would keep my thoughts silent. It had worked in a way. She was a confident but not a vain young woman. Or Whatever obsession with her looks had been absorbed by osmosis, she kept hidden far below. She looked at me with an indulgent smirk. You don't look a day over 45. Then she patted me on the knee and said, really? My whole face burst into a wide, painful smile. I was so pleased
1: that tears threatened to roll down my cheeks. So she's saying that she actively tried to keep a lot of her insecurities from Sid when she was raising Sid. I wonder how much of that seeped through though anyway.
0: Mm. Well, it often does, but I do think there is something quite honourable about that. Yeah. Yeah. Like for all her flaws. I mean, it's often not women's fault that they were raised in a world that tells them that so much of their worth is tied to how they look. She's able to try and actively break the cycle for her kid. I do think there is real honour in that. I think for me, there was another, sorry, I feel like I'm quoting Julia Mae Jonas all the time, but the way she observes her own work is just like amazing. And she said that one thing she wanted to do was talk about this dance between trying to live a life that has integrity And the fact that we're all just really stuck in our own bodies and have a lot of garbage thoughts. Mm. And I felt like she really nailed that down. She said there's garbage in our brains that we can't help but just constantly are sorting through. So I always like it when I feel like a character is sorting through not only their higher ideals but also the garbage. Because it's all true. It's all in her brain at once. You've got these higher ideals, you've got garbage and I don't know anyone in the world who doesn't have both.
2: And truthfully, this is where I'm finding some discourse on this book really, really frustrating. On Goodreads some people were saying that she was a rape apologist but they're also saying that she she was so toxic for women to read about and i just <laughs> find that so frustrating because this is just real life to me like this is just how yes we would love a utopia where everyone just accepts their appearance all the time and feels amazing all the time but that is not real life and this read like real life to me and i find it incredibly frustrating When readers act as if we can't deal with the complexity of real life.
1: I think what it is is that not a lot of authors write like this, because I definitely found it confronting, but probably just because like it's not like I don't have garbage thoughts, but I've never seen it written down on a page before (laughs) and seen
0: like parts of me reflected in some of those words. It's like, oh, we don't talk about these garbage thoughts. Like we all just keep them (laughs) inside our brains, but to be in somebody else's brain is to be privy to those garbage thoughts. Should we talk about John? Oh, oh I don't even yeah. want
2: to, guys. What an asshole.
0: He was so fucking gross. <laughs> what a prick. May I read something
1: that Julie Mae Jonas said about John? Please. So she told the publication Freeze. I think about him as kind of charismatic. I'm supposed to be repulsed by this type of person, but if I saw them fall in the street, I would feel devastated with sympathy. At the same time, they could make me feel worse about myself than anyone else if they criticized me in some way. It's a type of man that affects you at a certain stage of your life my father and teachers and all of these people that I really look up to. That's the trick with them, that there are oftentimes reasons to look up to them. What do we make of that?
2: I I love this book, as I said. I love and hate it in parts, but I think she may be... It didn't land for me in that way. Are we yes. too young for that?
0: Yes, because I read that. I novel. wonder if we aren't the target for John.
2: But young women were the well, target it's so for John. So true.
0: I think we were, were absolutely the target. I just for found him attractive. myself repulsed by Same him. Team. but I also wonder if we're repulsed by a man who's had his downfall and who's like really mm. self-flagellating, and you see him exposed as I'm going to say, "quote unquote" weak that maybe if he was written in the peak of his confidence and things like that, maybe we wouldn't feel the ick. Yeah. But I do, I feel this deep ick for him. Mm -hmm. There was a page or a page, there was a scene I should say and I don't have the page number I wish I could remember where I think our narrator and John were in the bathroom together like sort of having a semi-argument and then he just like farts and turns off, off the light. <laughs> and, and I was like, I oh, have never <laughs> felt so disgusted by a man. Not only did he fart, but he turned the light out on her. I think he closed the door or something. I don't know. He was just totally <laughs> pathetic and gross. Didn't he also make, I
2: can't remember what it was, they had an argument in the kitchen and he made a really nasty comment to her as oh, he ended awful. and he walked away. Like he'd comment on her appearance or like he knew what her insecurities he were. Deep.
1: Yeah.
0: I hate <laughs> He John. Was so, oh, I yuck. love how
1: out of everything John did, you noted down the far <laughs> thing. It is really fucking gross.
0: It's though. just <laughs> like, just and also like that he would hang about in our office and like, I think the description of him needing a lot of like physical affection and affirmation just was like it all just felt incredibly pathetic to me. But I imagine that was also the point that in yeah. his downfall he just like lost all of the things, all of the charming elements of his personality. Maybe
2: I did find their dynamics super confusing. At Same, like. I hated John. I think I've made that clear. But I did feel kind of away about it when he came to his wife and said, like, are you going to be there for my hearing? And she just gave him nothing. And then oh, that day he was that. messaging her and she just ignored him. I, I didn't mind it. I was like, go girl. But also just divorce
1: him. Like, yeah. Why I... are we doing this dance of you two staying together when you hate each other? But then by the end, it felt like, oh, maybe she loves him again. I don't know. But <laughs> I, aside from the obvious hateable character in John, I also despised Vlad. I agree. I thought I was going to like him maybe because like, I, I thought he was on the cover. Sexy. Yeah. But he was infuriating. I hated the way was he? he treated and so saw Cynthia, his yeah. wife, the yeah. way that he, like, twisted her mental health issues into a thing that affected him so deeply, which I'm sure it did. But also, like, <laughs> this isn't about you. <laughs> like, I was just like, oh, fuck He was fuck so off. self-interested. <gasps>
0: yes. Like, the way that he used his wife's mental health struggle in his admission interview. Mm, I mean, yuck. it was, like, perfect for the story because I think it really told us a lot about him. But, like, what a fuck. Yes. Like, outrageous. I had no notes on Vlad beyond not into Vlad. <laughs>
2: wow. I... I didn't hate Vlad. I had notes down saying I loved how the narrator picked apart his infantilization of his wife. Like I, I loved that. I thought it was accurate. But I also found Vlad interesting. Like I didn't I didn't find him attractive, but I was interested. I wasn't I really, really wasn't. I just wasn't drawn
0: to him at all.
1: I also loved how the narrator after like putting him on this pedestal throughout the entire book, by the end was like, oh
0: God, what what have I done? He's kind of like below average.
1: Yeah, like she gets the
0: ick. Yeah, Yeah. it's incredible. Can we quickly talk about Sydney as well? Because I feel like she's really the only other character maybe we might want to touch on. The only one I certainly want to touch on. I did not like Sydney at all. Mm. She reminded me a lot of her dad. That sort of self-flagellation that you saw with John, I think we saw with Sydney, to be so woe is me when you consistently cheated on your partner and your partner gave you so much grace about that Mm. and all your partner asked for was just to not do it one more time and you did it one more time and then you come drunk to your parents' house. Like, grow up. Also, I found it very, very interesting for a young woman like Sydney – to sleep with a law student who was ostensibly coming in underneath her at work as a contractor and yet be so outraged by her dad's behavior. It's like the parallels between those stories I thought were brilliant because it's like it's so easy for young people, I think, to have so much outrage about an older generation without realizing that even though their scenario might look differently, they're ostensibly doing the same thing, which is exercising power over somebody else. I
2: could not agree more. I think that's where this book had so much strength in that it pointed out Things are not black and white. Things are not as binary as maybe we've been speaking about them in the last five years.
1: Yeah. And also she had so much outrage about what John had done. And it was a similar kind of thing where she like knew intellectually that what he had done was wrong or like a gross misuse of power. But then she also couldn't help falling back into that loving father-daughter dynamic. And it was like she was helping with his like trial and everything. And it was like there was so much mismatch between like the brain and the heart. And I loved that in the storytelling. One thousand percent. Guys. I'm actually out of breath. (laughs) So much about everything and there is still much more to come. But before we talk about strengths and weaknesses, let's hear a word from today's sponsor.
0: Mish, we've long been fans of Elite 11's incredible activewear and loungewear, but I've also been impressed with the pretty incredible business story behind the Melbourne-based company. Same here. You know
2: I'm always keen to hear about how a business came to be. Elite 11 was founded in Melbourne in 2014 by then-18-year-olds Ben and Lissandro and has grown exponentially in the last few years.
0: Yeah, and now, Mish, they've expanded into podcasts, launching their brand new podcast network Elite 11 Podcasts. They currently have two podcasts within the network, Save Me a Seat with co-founders Lissandro and Ben and Not Our Business with PR and social media coordinators Madison and Vanessa. With
2: these podcasts, the Elite 11 team want to take you behind the scenes of the business to provide customers
0: with insight into the journey and growth of the business and everything in between. Plus, both shows give you a different perspective on the business from the founder journey to the marketing and publicity one. Follow at Elite 11 Podcasts on Instagram for all the other updates and subscribe to Not Our Business and save me a seat on Spotify and Apple Podcasts today. Thank you so much to Elite 11 and their new podcast network, Elite 11 Podcasts, for making this episode shameless possible.
1: Okay, Time to talk, strengths and weaknesses. Mm. And honestly, my strengths and weaknesses are like muddled into one because as I've said so many times, I found this whole thing so uncomfortable. And I think that's what I found so great about this book. But I was on edge the entire time. Right mish
2: give me a strength please oh the writing yeah the writing was stunning without ever feeling convoluted there were just little passages scattered throughout this book on basically every page like this one she took a breath after all of it was finished and laughed not the laugh of a disturbed person but the deeply ironic laugh of someone who has never lived without the company of pain Mm. something like that is so simple And so easy to understand what is going on without being florid. And I feel like a lot of the writers that we've loved on Book Club have been amazing writers. But I've found myself getting lost in their prose before. I never found that with this. I never checked the page number. I never doubted a sentence. I found so much of it impactful and incisive. The writing was gold.
0: Yeah, I agree. I had written down here the writing was flawless, super smart, not florid. Which I think is like the highest praise you can give writing, right? Yeah,
1: it was incredible writing. I also loved... I was, I'm was. i pausing because I was like, can we tell them the plot twist? Of course, yeah, yeah. you guys have all read the book. <laughs> I loved the plot twist. It absolutely obviously caught me off guard and I felt like that was such a fascinating experience as a reader. Having the book turn so dramatically... <laughs> Just- <laughs> I was like, this book fucking falls off a cliff. Yes, and in that sense, she was right. It is a gothic book.
0: I'm obsessed with how she did that. I mean, I haven't felt a book be this unpredictable in such a long time. I really, really thought I was going to read about an affair, not a kidnapping. Well, yes. thing, we're reading about them on this like
2: lunch date. They're drinking wine. He's really into it. He's loving all the praise that she's heaping on top of him. They drive to this house in the woods where I'm like, now we're going to bang. And then all of a sudden, she's pulling out medication crushing it into his cocktail <laughs> and literally drugging him then chaining him to a chair and then like completely gaslighting him and yeah. lying
1: to him about why they're in the chain so julia actually said in an interview that she didn't know that it was going to happen like she was riding under the guise of just like going with the flow yeah with the question of like what if we just succumbed to our like deepest desires so, so she, she, she was in know. like a silly
0: goofy mood <laughs> yeah, she wrote, just, let's <laughs> just do this truly i, I think on that i actually found and maybe i don't know i'm sure this will expose something deep inside of me i didn't find her scary at all maybe because we were in her head yeah maybe that's probably why i didn't find her terrifying at all i found her really pathetic towards the end of the book Yeah. yeah I found Vlad scary when he turned around and oh, yes. leant into it, and then was like, "I also know you messaged my wife. By the way, I saw it on the computer, but now we're going to stay." Mm. I found that level of unpredictability terrifying. That
1: was so spooky. That I was, was like, wait, what? Because it was like, I'm just playing the character that you wanted what? me to. And, I was like, and it fuck? was like, I find it all very interesting. <laughs> I was just like that's
2: really
0: scary to me. <laughs> I
2: also say, when the kidnapping thing happened, in my head, I was stressed. Like I literally put the book down and was like, How is she gonna get out of this? And then I was so impressed by her excuses when she's like, Oh, we got really drunk and we were into S and M, but we didn't really know what we were doing, and now here we are. I'm like flawless
1: excuses. Yeah, I know I
0: I felt so toxic being like wonderful lying. (laughs) Lying ten out of ten. (laughs) I also loved how delusional it made her seem. I think she was really exposed as quite delusional. I think from my mind it became quite clear that Cynthia and John were not having an affair yeah Yeah, I thought the same I really Um, believed John despite not loving him (laughs) (laughs) yeah and I think it was interesting to me how publicly John was really the derided one Mm. but privately I felt she was just as evil maybe I don't know if just as is correct but pretty evil herself
2: i feel like maybe she was driven to a point of behaving egregiously because
0: she had been
2: i don't know i think she just found herself in a situation no where i do think behaving-
0: she was driven there i think she dro- she literally did drive she herself. Dro- maybe
2: drove herself there but i don't think she was evil the whole book i think this obsession and infatuation happening at the same time as her losing her job effectively and her husband going through this crisis and their marriage falling apart I don't think she was like born with this innate desire to kidnap people that she only enacted at 58.
0: I think the circumstances pushed her, which she also created herself. I think there was a patheticness to her towards the end that I realized was probably almost definitely always there when she hinted towards that affair she had with. David. David. Mm. And I wondered maybe if this was actually innately part of her, but it only surfaced every so often when she let it. Yeah, when she like really fell into Yeah. An she never thought about affair. kidnapping David. Though. Who knows though? I I <laughs> don't know.
1: But it feels baffling to me that this would just come out of nowhere. I know that they're like extreme circumstances.
0: Actually, you know what? I'm gonna like go around in massive circles here, but I think <laughs> this is what the episodes are for. I think insecurity and age might have driven her there as well like this idea that she can't get what she wants anymore because she doesn't feel like the world views her how they used to which I think we find often with women of this sort of middle age is the world does quote-unquote forget about them and I think for a woman who's so obsessed with how she appears and presents to the world then yeah, maybe she felt like she could only drug someone. But I think that still doesn't come out of nowhere.
2: Well, the reason I said I think it's circumstantial mostly is because one of the sentences on the page where she literally starts drugging kidnapping him is, I am a repulsive old woman. Mm -hmm. And I don't think the 25-year-old version of the protagonist would have found themselves reaching this level of depravity maybe can we talk about the second plot twist because we had (laughs) the stealing vladimir and tying him to a chair with chains and then we had not too long after that maybe 10 pages a fire that ravaged everything that landed the protagonist and john in rehab for months i've got to say guys that plot twist really annoyed me. I feel like it gave Julia Mae Jonas a get out of jail free card because the difficulty with this story, it was such a rich story, such an outlandish story. The difficulty would be resolving any of it. Figuring out how Cynthia, how it was explained to Cynthia that she received this text message on her phone, what happened to her marriage with Vladimir, how Vladimir went back home to his daughter and wife, how the protagonist explained any of it. That was the difficulty. And Julia just bypassed all of it by throwing in this complete curveball that fast forwarded the story by four to six months. And I felt like that was a bit of a cop out. And this annoys me in books when I'm like, how the fuck are we going to get out of this? I'm so curious to see what the author will do. And then the author goes, trick jar, big fire, burns to 30% of their body. We don't even hear what happens with Cynthia because they were out of it.
1: Yeah, it's giving, like, this was all a dream. It felt like a very convenient tie. I would like to read a little passage from a New York Times review. It read, But what begins as an ode to transgression, yes, please, takes a last-minute turn into an oddly conservative morality tale. The two transgressors of Vladimir find no artistic rewards or psychological freedom in their line crossing. Instead, they wind up humiliated and maimed while the afflicted parties remain safely esconded in their institutions, apparently triumphant in victimhood it just felt like oh okay there was a fire now Vlad and Cynthia are living happily ever after and now everything's fine John and the narrator have all this money now that's yeah, the they've got all this
2: money. They're going to buy this place in the
1: city. They're still together. I it was, was like, silly.
2: What do you, what is any of this? I found one review on Goodreads that was really highly upvoted to be bang on, which read very simply, Julia Mae Jonas said, give me 10 minutes and wrote the last 20 pages. Yeah,
0: I completely agree. I thought it was hilarious. <laughs> she ended up with a fire. And I think in terms of the story, it felt lazy. Mm. But in terms of the conversation, it just feels incredibly funny. Mm-hmm. Like, in t- I think I'm, I'm struggling with this book a a little bit about whether to rate it on the merits of it being a novel or the joy of unpacking it and talking about it. And maybe it being like a caricature of itself. Like I don't know how to rate it because I think those are two completely different things. And I'm still not even sure what I'm gonna do. And I know we're not there yet. I feel bad because what I want to do right now is sort of take us back a little bit. I know we've just done the twist and the fire, but I think if we're talking about strengths and weaknesses, the fire was definitely the biggest weakness for me, easily. In terms of other weaknesses, I don't know if this is like incredibly petty, but there were like two sections where... She would describe things as being great that I thought were not great. <laughs> for example, on page 78, I think this is when Sydney came to town and she's told the audience what she was cooking for Sydney. I decided to make her stovetop spaghetti carbonara pie, an old (laughs) specialty of mine she loved. A sauce made of bacon, tomato, olive and anchovy, simmered on the stove, to which one adds al dente spaghetti, then cracks eggs into little craters in the mixture, cooking them until they are just set, after which an obscene amount of parmesan is grated (laughs) over the entire thing, and then it's put in the oven.
2: Why would I eat
0: that? I would eat it. I love I was gonna say, am I fucked food when I read that? I was like, yum, yum, yum. I, I was like, that, <laughs> that just makes me feel sick. Like that's, I wanna eat that. Don't so tell me that it's your famous meal if that's all you've got. The second thing that I found kind of funny, and maybe, and you know what, maybe this was exactly the point of the book. But when her and Vlad were meeting before their date, <laughs> this is how she described Vlad. He was a delight to regard, a black V-neck T-shirt, black jeans, (laughs) distressed leather blazer, neck chain, (laughs) high boots. Again, he was so fashionable, it was almost (laughs) arch. It couldn't sound like a shitter outfit. I know I know that might be the point, but it also was just distracting to me. It's giving... What was the book that we read when the
2: florist was into oh, steampunk? In, that it was, ends it with us. It ends with us and we were like, this is
0: just distracting when you're describing something objectively shit and trying to tell us
2: it's cool and in fashion.
0: 100%. One other thing that I really quickly wanted to touch on when it came to strengths, although I still have so many, is the exploration of the dynamic between professor and student, I think was really strong and it was done in a few different ways in this book but her relationship with Edwina Mm. the student like being so obsessed with Edwina was so weird to me and how insecure she was about maintaining Edwina's
1: kind of affection
0: was fascinating I think in the scene you read before of when Sydney commented that her mum looked really young Mm. I wanted to read out part of that myself because I think there might be something that all kind of links here right where on page 75 she said Sydney let go of me immediately and waved her arms widely to get back to the surface before I rose to help her I allowed myself one gorgeous contemplative moment underwater even though she was drunk and it was very dark it was still true that my own daughter had mistaken me for a student Mm. I was like wondering whether when it came to our narrator was she obsessed with Edwina because she was obsessed with having someone infatuated with her like John was Mm. or was she obsessed with looking like a student and Mm. it was like all these layers kind of interwoven at once and in that way I think when we compare her to John I think kind of our narrator does that as well when she says maybe I'm better off as like a man or I'm a man inside my head because I do feel like she's kind of the female version of John Mm. just in very very different ways does that make any sense? No
2: I think it does I think you are bang on this obsession with youth and this idea that She's only attractive if she's coming across as a far younger woman, I think is a real heartland. Or,
0: yeah, or she's only attractive if far younger people, women in this case, are infatuated with her. Except her. Want yeah. to be like her peer. Yeah. yeah, which, yeah, I guess makes
1: sense as to why John and her have lasted so long. <laughs> I have one
2: other thing that annoyed me about the ending. I know I have said a lot about the ending that annoyed me. I really rolled my eyes when we found out that Sid and Alexis had a baby with that guy that she got pregnant to (laughs) at the train station and now they're happy families and there's just this adorable little baby that everyone in the family loves. Like, (laughs) baby. (laughs) That they take to the park. Like, it
0: ended as if a different author wrote the last... 10 See, pages with that I agree with you it sounded lazy but then I was like I didn't take it to be a happy ending for them I took it as there's no way this is not going to be complicated moving forward do you oh. know what I mean they are in their sort of sorry naive and delusional state thinking that this will all be fine and the band-aid solution to their relationship when I feel like their relationship is far more complicated than that and they're gonna find themselves in a whole heap of trouble soon
2: yeah and I hate to be this person I was also thinking like what's the chances that she has unprotected sex once and she's ovulating that day and she gets pregnant from the that one time i, was I mean like, it's, not, all just it's, not imp- <laughs> it's not impossible though yeah. it's all just a little bit too outlandish when you then add in the fire and the kidnapping and the drugging i'm like we're getting
1: a little fantastic yeah that's here. probably yeah. fair i read that as another convenient tie guys it is time <laughs> it's time for ratings i don't know what i'm rating the book yet so i'm gonna throw up to zara
0: yeah I think I tried to explain how complicated I feel about rating this book because there are so many ways to look at it. I think what I want to do with my rating in this book is rate it based on how much I've enjoyed the entire experience of consuming it consuming the book talking to you guys about it I feel like it's one of those books I will never forget I will constantly (laughs) remember it's the kind of book that I want everybody else to read so I can talk to them about it I don't think I can give it a five because I think it's like not a perfect novel for me and I need a perfect novel to have a five but I will give it a four and a half
2: yeah I'm giving it a four wow I think I think it was brilliant but so sloppy at the end if (laughs) if that if it had been finished in a more realistic this is the thing the thing that made me love it is that it was real and then the last 20 pages felt so unreal if those 20 pages were removed and replaced with others it would have been a straight five glittering five adored at five i think it has to be a four given the shit ending
1: I'm going to rate it a 3.5. If I'm also thinking about this book holistically in terms of my reading experience, talking about it with you guys, I found my reading experience, though it was fast, I read it fast because it was easy to read, I found it super uncomfortable. I don't know. Yeah, <laughs> I was just like, the spookiness really the got TV. Spooky Vlad. No, I... And I also don't know if I would recommend it to everyone. I don't ah. think this is a book that
0: everyone would enjoy. Interesting. I would. I would as well. <laughs> I would. But selfishly, because I want to talk about it. Same. And I'm like, am I going to thrust this book upon people who don't want to read it? <laughs> <laughs> well, agree
1: to disagree, everybody. <laughs> Guys, that is it for the April installment of The Shameless Book Club. Next month, we will be reading Pineapple Street by Jenny. Michelle, would you like to read us a snippet from the blurb? Absolutely. This unputdownable
2: debut follows three women in an old Brooklyn Heights clan. One who was born with money, one who married into it, and one who wants to give it all away. Dali, the eldest daughter in the well-connected, carefully guarded Stockton family, has never had to worry about money. Dali followed her heart, trading her job and her inheritance for motherhood, sacrificing more of herself than she ever intended. Sasha, Dali's new sister-in-law, has come from more humble origins, and her hesitancy about signing a prenup has everyone worried about her intentions. And Georgiana, the baby of the family, has fallen in love with someone she can't and really shouldn't have, and must confront the kind of person she wants to be. That was a
1: large passage, sorry, uh, <laughs> I got a little bit of that, now. it was a lot. Uh, anyway, thank you so much <laughs> I'm We're, here for any readings you want. <laughs> <laughs> we are so excited to read this one. So make sure you pick up a copy and read along with us for May. Until then, come and follow us on Instagram at the Shameless Book Club or search the same username on TikTok. That's it from us. Bye. See ya.